0: Hi, I'm Josh Trippier and this is Be A Good Leader, the podcast that walks you through becoming a leader to show you the pitfalls and common misconceptions at each phase of leadership. In today's episode, we walk you through what leadership is, how to get into a leadership position, what's different when you get there, the common pitfalls, and how to succeed Except for a few entrepreneurs, a lot of leaders start out as experts working on the front line. They rise through the ranks until they get to a position of formal authority. Once they get there, things change. they are a few steps removed from the work itself. The skill set they needed to do their job changes. The education they got to be an expert wasn't focused on how to be a leader, And they're kind of left to figure this out on the job. Before we jump into the transition into your first leadership position, let's start with the basics. What is leadership? A great way to understand leadership is to compare it with management. The idea of management dates back to the industrial revolution. It's a formal position of authority. And it focuses on maintaining control and efficiency. Leadership can exist outside of management or a formal position of authority and usually focuses on constructive change. For example, people that influence others to join their cause, like MLK or Greta Thunberg, demonstrate leadership. A frontline worker can exhibit leadership skills and traits while not in a position of authority. Leadership is a trait, a skill, a behavior, a relationship, and an influence process. Now that you have an idea of what leadership is, how do you get into a leadership role? To answer this question, we have to travel back to the year 2016. We are going to the Center for Disease Control offices in Atlanta, Georgia. At the time, the public health workforce was experiencing a lot of turnover. One industry survey estimated 48% of staff members who responded were planning on leaving their jobs within the next five years. Many of these staffers were leaving senior positions and cashing in on their pensions for Life 2.0. They were in need of workers, especially leaders. But a large majority of the workers that were left over were mainly scientists or specialists. They were finding it really hard to transform these scientists into supervisors. What could they do? They tasked a group of researchers to study a recent batch of 21 managers who made the switch from scientist to supervisor. Their mission was to find out what made a successful transition to understand their results we need to understand leadership as a trait and a behavior in the early 1900s and through the 1940s a popular way to study leadership was to look at the characteristics and traits of highly revered leaders like abraham lincoln gandhi Teddy Roosevelt, and Joan of Arc. This led people to narrow in on traits like openness, a sense of right and wrong, extroversion, agreeableness, and being high strung. The researchers found that similar to trait theory, the new supervisors at the Centers for Disease Control thought that their drive, communication skills, technical skills, attention to detail, Adaptability, problem-solving skills, and big-picture thinking made them successful. So, your first tip, work on yourself. Leaders need to exhibit leadership traits. They also know skills that fall into three buckets. The first bucket is administrative skills. This means managing resources and having technical skills needed to do whatever it is your team needs to do. This is hiring people, managing budgets and equipment, and if you do accounting, you better know accounting. The second bucket is interpersonal skills. This is the ability to be socially aware of yourself and others, and managing conflicts. And the last bucket is conceptual skills. These are things like strategic planning, problem-solving, and creating a vision. All right, back to the supervisors and how to get into a supervisor role. Outside of themselves, the supervisors hinted at two major factors they believed helped them transition from their scientific roles. The first thing was receiving support from their bosses throughout their professional careers. This means they received coaching and mentorship, were invited to meetings, and had the exposure to the opportunities to lead. Your next tip, find a mentor or ask for advice. Mentors are a great way to get smart faster by avoiding common pitfalls. They also unlock new networks of people and opportunities. Finding a mentor starts by reaching out. People are surprisingly willing to help because they receive mentoring to get where they are. This leads to the second point, and it's an important one. They took any chance they could to strengthen their leadership muscles by jumping on any opportunity to lead projects, initiatives, or activities. Your next tip? Use that initiative to practice leadership in low stakes, real life settings. Do things like volunteering, starting your own side hustle, start your own meetup, Join a board for a nonprofit, anything you can do to get experience helps. So, now that you know more about leadership and how to get into a role, what changes when you get there? Let's imagine you work at a large state agency. We'll call it the Bureau of State Stuff, or BOSS. BOSS is a regulatory agency. They do a whole lot of auditing. Well, I guess you do a whole lot of auditing. BOSS recently got a big chunk of change from the federal government. And you find out that they are promoting people into new management roles. Congrats, you are one of those people. But there is one thing that's different about your role. You find out that a research team is going to observe your transition from a specialist to a supervisor along with 16 other volunteers over the next four years. Sound crazy? Well, it's not too far from the truth. A similar study was conducted by a group of researchers from 2006 to 2010. The study found that this group of managers went through the three phases of what's called Ashforth's role transition model. So, Mr. and Mrs. Manager, are you ready for the first phase? It's called the role exit phase. During this phase, participants experienced a shock to their systems. At this point, All but one of your colleagues have expressed feelings of anxiety or being overwhelmed. Your previous job as an auditor was clear-cut and based on numbers and facts. You're now dealing with ambiguity. Each situation is unique and requires a unique solution. For some people, this is when they realize that they won't be doing the work they enjoyed, and will be focusing more on people. If you love accounting, becoming a manager means doing less of the accounting. Here's what your co-worker said. What do you do when you are dealing with an upset client or a coworker or whatever? How do you deal with somebody when they are unapproachable? What do you do? Do you ignore them? How do you address that? That is an issue that happens to people. Are we going to let this person continue to bully everyone or back off? Do you know what I mean? Like learning anything new, there is frustration, and you might need some time to get your footing. Most of your coworkers felt self-doubt because they believed they weren't performing very well. Because of this, most of you started blaming the working environment or office politics for your sense of frustration, half of you started blaming your subordinates. But you didn't worry too much. Your determination and positive thinking and growth mindset have got you this far. And despite some feelings of frustration and self-doubt, you keep going. At this point, two of your coworkers have quit. The rest of you move on to phase two, the movement phase. Don't worry, this phase doesn't involve any packing peanuts or physical movement. This is where you start to make moves towards understanding your new role. By the second or third wave of interviews, a majority of you admit they did not realize the importance of working with people. They realized they needed to be aware of others' emotions and treat people as people, not just simply means to get a job done. You also start seeking feedback from mentors, your subordinates, and others to combat the ambiguity and anxieties around performance. The study participants found that the informal conversations they had with others provided valuable insight and direction. Through your conversation with other managers and your senior managers you find out that what you're experiencing isn't new and that others are facing or have faced similar situations. These little chats also let you analyze your own emotions and study your own strengths so you know what you need to work on. One of your co-workers thought that because he's such a good auditor in his previous role Those auditing skills would transfer over to being a manager and would let him contribute to solving the team's problems. Through his conversations with employees, when he tried to interject his opinions, his employees took this negatively. They said he was intense or hard to work for. Your other colleagues had similar stories and expressed symptoms of micromanaging. One participant said this. There's a fine line. At the same time, if there's a newer examiner, I'm much more hands-on with training than if it's someone more experienced who I'm familiar with. I try to keep an open mind and keep communication. I might be hands-off if the person has a question and I want them to be able to approach me. In the past couple of years, I've gone from being a micromanager to a macromanager. I've laid back for it. Keep up the great work, boss. I'm sure the Bureau is lucky to have you. You're ready for the third phase. Roll Entry. During this phase, you and your colleagues are getting along well and learn some advanced Jedi mind tricks. The first few mind tricks you learn have to deal with managing your emotions. One of these tricks is called reframing. Several of your colleagues used this technique to manage frustrations that came up on the job. Your coworker said, I may take things too personally. I became like personally or emotionally invested in this, and I almost felt like it was a personal knock on me, that it was taking so much time. Maybe it is okay not to remove my emotions because they're good to have. Because it shows I care, but maybe not allow them to cloud my judgment. He was able to reframe his negative frustrations in a positive light and not let them take control. The second mind trick is acceptance. You and your coworkers understand that no one is perfect and you're only human. This mindset allows you to accept mistakes and learn from them. The last trick in this trio is called separation. Understanding that this is a job, not your whole life, helps put things into perspective. You also realized the need to fight burnout and maintaining work-life balance by managing stress in healthy ways. You and your colleagues also learned a few magic spells around managing relationships. The first spell is motivation. Most of you realized that your job as manager was not to focus on the task of auditing, but to support your team members with their roadblocks and to create an approachable, friendly work environment. The second spell is empathy with action. You all learned that just showing empathy with your team members was not enough. You have to back that empathy up with some action. One of your coworkers, we'll call her Jane, shared a story about a senior employee taking advantage of a lower level employee and got him demoted. Jane worked with HR for weeks to help reverse the demotion. Well, great job at your four years of being a boss at BOSS. I'm sure you've learned a lot. We've talked about what leadership is, how to get into a role, and what it's like when you get there. And that's it for this episode. In our next episode, we'll talk about more misconceptions new leaders face, some tips to succeed, and what you can expect when you move into a senior leadership role. I'm Josh Trippier. And this is Be a Good Leader. See you next time.